Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. As soon as you know the person doesn't have a future in your company, that like you could see a year out or six months out and they're, they're not going to be a part of it, then you're, you're stealing their time by allowing them to stay there. You know, you got to set them free. They, they deserve to find a place where they can flourish and they can work towards a bright future. And, and you're just doing them a disservice by keeping them around. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I am your host, Edwin Frondozo. Welcome. How are you? How's it going today? Thank you for taking your time to, to join us. This is episode number 81, and my guest today is Eric Arnold the CEO and founder of Plans Well. Eric worked as a financial advisor at two of Canada's top firms. He developed about a dozen startups and generated more than $400 million in value through digital marketing. Eric had an inspiration for Plans Well back in 2012, and he's been leading the company's vision ever since. In our conversation, Eric shares what assets you must have to maintain your lifestyle in the future, He discusses what's the biggest indicator for future success for emerging business leaders. And lastly, the strategy on how to start a business that will not break the bank. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Now here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Eric. Thank you, Edwin. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really excited. Uh, I've I personally I've heard many things in terms of you and your company, but uh, why don't we just actually start there? Why don't we start with you? Maybe introduce yourself to our listeners. Let us know who you are personally when you're not growing and, and scaling businesses. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm waiting on my fourth child to be born in February. Um, currently, wow! Yeah, that's <laughs> congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a I have a one and a half year old, a three year old, and a four year old at home. Um, so that's that's a big part of my life for sure. Um, oh my, my gosh, one year apart almost each one, right? Correct. Yeah. I can I mean I I might need to get a I we need to do another call. Uh, I mean I just have one child, two year old, so I probably could learn a lot from you. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh it's fun. It's a challenge and, and so many awesome things happening there. Um my my three year old and our and, and four year old uh both can pass the deep end test um in the swimming pool now, so we're we're pretty uh, blown away by that. And so um yeah, just lo- lots of fun family stuff happening. Um my my background is is mostly in in digital marketing and uh, client acquisition type stuff in uh, in digital realms and and uh, also in offline startups growing up running like window cleaning companies and uh, I had a chain of tea stores at some at one point in, in shopping malls so doing all of that and then also working in wealth management just really trying to figure out people's finances and uh, I've always been a big fan of investing and. After flipping a few houses and doing five personal mortgages and understanding kind of really in depth how that works, I'm trying to put all the things that I've done together and and uh, and build plans well. 
That's amazing. Well, why don't we just, just great segue. Let's talk about plans well. Let us know your current role, your responsibilities. And I know personally, there's a lot of things happening, but what are you trying to accomplish over the next six to 12 months? So the goal of PlansWell is to help people figure out what they need to do on a monthly basis to maintain their lifestyle in the future. Um, so if you if you talk to anyone, they'll all tell you that their goal is that you know the, the restaurants that I go to today and and the trips that I go on and the type of house that I live in it should be just as good if not better uh, for the rest of my life. Whether it's in retirement or whether it's putting my kids through school or whether it's if I get sick and I can't go to work for a while, basically nobody knows what they need to do to achieve that. And so so we're trying to we're trying to take what only the wealthiest of the wealthy have had access to in, in financial planning and financial services and and really boil that down and automate it and, uh, and get it into a system that can be uh, given away for free and can also be done um, easily. So it takes about three minutes to build an entire financial plan. And so to answer your question of like, what, what do we want to do over the next six months? It's really just continue to build plans for people. We've done over 100,000 financial plans so far. And that's, uh, and that's in Canada. And that's really nothing compared to where we want to get with the global population. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's super interesting for myself being an entrepreneur. I uh, obviously thought I knew stuff about money and then, you know, you meet many people and many financial advisors or whatnot. So for the listeners out there who it may have just sparked something and I just I just want to just take this time I think it's very important uh, for anyone who's listening is really understanding your financial plan. So what does that really entail like for people who've never done a financial plan what 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 is holding them from doing it and and what's that barrier when it when they reach plans well so there's three main things that you must do in order to maintain their your lifestyle in the future so one one thing is that you must be an investor um, it's next to impossible to achieve financial freedom in the future by saving money the amount that you would have to save you're saving after tax dollars the amount you'd have to save to maintain that level of income after inflation, it's actually just impossible. So like you have to have a return on, on your money. So you need to figure out how to invest that and how to not get hosed on fees. Um, the common fees in Canada are over 2% on your money every year. So it's, uh, it's, it's figuring out where, where you can invest your money. And that's something that we help people do. The second one is in insurance. Um, so not a lot of people want to talk about what might happen if you were to get cancer. But mm-hmm. two out of five people are going to experience that. A lot of people are going to experience having a stroke and there's people that have coronary bypass surgeries. And these are like very common things. Most people probably know somebody that's experienced something like this. All of those are going to take you out of the workforce for a significant amount of time. And your company might have benefits like disability insurance uh, to kind of keep your income going. Um, and if, if they don't, that's something else you should be setting up. But, but often there's a whole bunch of extra expenses that people don't realize that they, they think, Oh, I'm in, I live in Ontario. Maybe in a, I have, uh, you know, OHIP that's going to pay for all my medical bills and everything. Well, it's like OHIP doesn't pay for parking $25 a day at the hospital every single day. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't cover the, your meds once you get out of the hospital and you're, you're away on leave and you're not, you're not working. Um, so there's a lot of costs that you really do need to protect. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to contribute to your investments through that time. And you're, and you're going to fall short of your goal of, of whenever it is that you need to be financially free. And then the third area is is borrowing wisely. Um, mm-hmm. So you need to, you need to understand how debt works, and you need to understand if you're going to be a homeowner, which is one of the greatest ways to build wealth. How can you get through that without 
losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees and interest costs that you really don't need to be paying, but over 80% of Canadians end up paying it um, because they're just, they're just not getting the information that they need. Um, so those three areas um, speaking together kind of to each other so that you know how to optimize each level over the course of your plan um, is something that we've been able to build through technology. Well, that's amazing. And that's where you take myself, for example, you take a look at where I'm going, what my plans are and where I need to go and, and really help me build that to to maintain and maybe even grow wealth, right? Yeah. So a lot of people will come in and they'll say, look, I'm already, I'm saving 500 bucks a month or whatever it is they're putting away for the future. Or maybe I have this like little insurance policy that, that I set up a while ago, um, or most people generally don't have the insurance policy set up. And they, they come in and they know how much they're making and they know how old they are and they know how old they'd like to be when they no longer have to work. And, and we just ask them a, a series of questions in, in about three minutes <clears throat> flat. And uh, and it's all questions that people can answer off the top of their head. And, and we'll say, look, this is what you should be doing. And in some cases, it says, look, like if you're doing what you're doing now, we can actually get you to retirement maybe a couple of years later. In some cases, it's a couple of years earlier. Um, maybe there's some other suggestions that the engine can that can bring up, like... Hey, you, you got a lot of real estate going on, and, and by the time you're in retirement, um, you might be able to downsize that, and that that could supplement your your income. Um, so it'll throw out those kind of suggestions, and yeah, and within three or four minutes, you've got an entire financial plan built out for you. Well, that's amazing. Well, we'll we'll be sure to share it with our audience the link to to the plans, well, and how to get that started, even just for those who are curious and those who may may already be have a financial plan. But I guess it's not a bad thing to to do an audit on the financial plan you have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get me started on the, the state of current financial planning. I, I would definitely argue that nobody has a financial plan. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that might be shelved for another conversation between you yeah. and I. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to change gears, Eric. I know for me, I was looking, you know, when I looked at your career and you sort of alluded to it before that you were doing a number of businesses, you became an investment advisor, and now you're growing your scaling plans well. I'd love to get some insight or if you could share some key decisions. Typically, I'd love if you had a difficult decision you had to make that eventually allowed you to grow as a business leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so difficult decisions and difficult times are, are really like the key to success, I guess, in my story. And I think in most people's stories, as I've, as I've had the privilege of meeting some pretty successful people over the last few years, like I've, I've tried to start maybe like over 10 companies and they've always been self-funded. I've, I've probably lost personally over $300,000 and I've, you know, most of that was just made through kind of flipping houses and and just getting lucky with real estate. Like I've never really had a high paying job. And, uh, and some of those experiences have been incredibly painful, but I, I had to go through them to, to get to the point where I could put together a team and I could bring a, a business to market where I have a fairly good understanding about how every aspect of this company works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all, it all comes from experiences with, with 10 other companies that I, that I tried to make work. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine because you did mention that you were a digital marketer and then all of a sudden you're an investment advisor, right? So those are two different parts of a business, but I assume for plans well, that's the that's a big part of your business is getting your a getting the word out there and b creating amazing financial plans right yeah so i i tell people look like we've built financial planning software and yes it's excellent and there's like 13 aspects of it that nobody's ever done before we filed some patents and like that's all great but really anybody with enough money 
can build financial planning software and many other companies have done it. There's a lot of companies that that tried. Um, but the thing that we're able to do remarkably better than anybody else um, that's tried is, is is actually getting people to use it. Mm-hmm. So it's that understanding of user experience and digital experiences matched with the marketing and branding side of things to create a, an environment where people feel comfortable. They don't feel overwhelmed and they don't feel like they're made to, to, to be feeling stupid. But it's just a, it's just an easy to use system that in a few minutes flat you can get everything that you were looking for. Um, that's that's the breakthrough that we've we've come across where we're able to do a hundred thousand financial plans for people really in the first nine months of uh, of really just kind of testing it out. Um, we we actually believe we could be doing hundreds of thousands of plans a day through uh, through the systems that we've built. That's amazing, and uh, I'm excited to see that grow and uh, definitely keep me keep us in the know on that. You mentioned that as you grew, I mean, you changed, you started almost 10 companies. And obviously you were, you were mentioning that, you know, you're finding your team or people you want to work with along the way. I'm curious, how did you adjust throughout that, you know, those times and to grow as an effective leader? Obviously it was painful. So there, there might've been some things that you turned to, or maybe people who you look to to grow. Yeah. I think that building the team is really important. And if you look at requirements of, uh, of a lot of early stage VCs and accelerators, they'll often talk about what they look for in a founding team. And they want to see founders that have worked together before. It's a big indicator of, uh, of future success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot to, uh, to attribute to one of my co-founders, Scott, who I've worked with on maybe eight out of the 10 companies um, that I've started. Um, so every digital company that I've, I've, I've built has been in a partnership with Scott. He's kind of like the technical co-founder. He knows how to do everything. Um, so he's been through it with me and we, we've learned many of the same things and it allows us to kind of move really quickly in, in key times um, because we can kind of finish each other's sentences. We know um, we're drawing on the same like bank of experience with the other companies that we've built. It allows us to kind of move really quickly together. Um, and then our other co-founders are people that we've worked with and around for, for a long time before starting the company. And even once we decided that we wanted to start the company, it was like six months of meetings of, uh, of just brainstorming and developing the idea. And by the time we kind of raised the first dollar and, and, you know, months before we hired our first employee, we had a fairly clear vision of what we were going to build. And it, it honestly hasn't really deviated from that. Yeah, that's that's great. And and this this core team that you had started before you've grown, I mean, from from outside looking in, it sounds like the organization is your headcount is getting up there. Like you're past 50, 60 people now. Yeah, it's in it's in that range. Um and it's uh it it's grown pretty fast. Like it's a big company, right? Like those, yeah. those my my other companies I I always self-funded and you know, Scott and I usually split the bill on things. But they were things that we could bring to market with like ten or fifteen thousand dollars in a minimum viable product, and we could test it out. We could see if it worked, mm-hmm. um, which is always where we ended up with with these like hard decisions. Like the hard decision always has been whether or not to shut it down or whether to try and raise money and to go with it. And we've just never really felt like that right about it um, that we would want to take investors' dollars and, and try and make this happen. It wasn't until Planswell came along that we were pitching people, and, and the tone changed from. When you pitch the idea, people used to say with all the other ideas, ah, I could see how somebody would want to use that because people are generally pretty polite. Mm-hmm. Um, with Planswell, it was always, I need that. It was like a very profound difference in what the feedback was. So we kind of knew we were onto something. But yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the team 
had to grow in order to to even just bring this to market. It took about thirty people on the team. Like we had to build out a, a full robo advisor in house, which is like that that kind of business model where we can automate investments and not have to speak to the clients. Um, we had to build out uh, an MGA. It's called like the kind of a big insurance brokerage in house. We had to build out a, a mortgage team in house, also that we could serve the client from end to end. Um, and make sure that we're giving like exceptional service and doing absolutely what's in the best interest of the client. <clears throat> so even just to serve the first client, you had to do all of those things with headcount, as well as build you know the world's greatest financial planning software. Yeah. Uh, before before you can even test it, so it was uh, it was a big build for sure. Yeah, for sure. And and what I'm hearing is you know, this is the biggest company that you've grown. So for you, what were the challenges uh, from being that sort of small, self-funded, bootstrapped co-founders you and Scott were to maybe, I understand, you may still have your hands in a lot of part of the business, but perhaps, you know, to scale, you've, you've let go of a lot of these responsibilities. Like, can you mention any challenges of letting go or some things of that, that, that you went through together, maybe growing this team to, to its current headcount now. For sure. Like I've grown a couple other big teams. Like my, my had a window cleaning company that had over 20 people working in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a a chain of T stores, I had three different T stores and shopping malls and and we had, uh, over 20 people working there. Um, but, but Planswell is, is very different. Like this is, this is an all encompassing like tech company, Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas in the previous companies, it's really just, it's like, you know, it's, it's sales and, and labor things that I'm pretty good at. And so I was kind of able to lead and, and to, to coach people along the way, mm-hmm. um, with Planswell, we employ tons of people that are, are much better than I am at whatever they do. And in many cases, I don't even know what they do. So, <laughs> so that's been a, like, a, this is a new thing for me to have to, to right. coach to that and to manage that. And, uh, and that's, that's definitely a challenge where we're constantly looking at, I've, I've talked to different business coaches and I've been, I've had the privilege of, of earning kind of the trust and, and, and investor dollars from some really impressive people around the city, um, who've been able to mentor me and to kind of help me with that. But yeah, figuring out how to how to lead and manage people who are much better than than I am is uh, is definitely a challenge. Hey there, biz leader. I hope you're enjoying this conversation that I'm having with Eric. By the way, if you are liking what you're hearing, or maybe have some questions, or that something's resonating with you, I'd love to hear from you. Join my free private Facebook group where I share daily insights answer your questions, your comments, and an opportunity for you to connect with other like-minded business leaders. Simply go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. Now let's get back to it. I'm wondering, is there anything else that you're doing that you could share with us today that, that, that allows you to continue and grow? I mean, you're learning new skills as this team grows. So, so what are you doing to develop, to continually develop? Wow. It's like, I don't know. I feel like, um, in the matrix, when they plug the thing into the back of their heads and they just get to download all the information as fast as like, you know, possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I love that visual though. <laughs> I, that's what I feel like I'm doing all the time. Like I'm on one hand, I'm learning everything there is to know about being a parent and, and, and trying to manage that. And then, you know, being in the office and trying to learn about, how to like negotiate term sheets and raise dollars and do strategic partnerships and hire people and fire people. And 
like firing people is brutal. Like, this is like, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I want to make people's lives better. And I want to make people happy. Yeah. Um, I hate that I have to be, you know, the, the person you're looking at when you're getting the, the worst news. Like I've heard, I've heard getting fired is one of the worst, uh, worst days of your life. Um, so I, I hate being a part of that, but, um, but yeah, like it's, I'm in a position where I'm, I'm forced to learn on the fly. It's like jumping out of a, a plane and knitting your parachute on the way down. Like I don't, I don't have so much of a luxury to go out and like proactively gain knowledge in a kind of a passive or like, you know, coaching type, you know, environment, but it's really just figuring it out as, as I go. Yeah, no, for sure. And talk to me about that. I mean, I've, I mean, I'm intrigued and for the business leaders, you know, the emerging business leaders that are out there that may be facing that challenge of actually doing their first fire firing or firing someone for the first time like can you share that thought process and and what really you had to do or maybe if you had to do your first fire again like what would you tell yourself yeah my first fire was uh was in my window cleaning company and it was this guy who kept uh like horking and spitting on like the the ground this was like residential window cleaning some like suburban house right Mm -hmm. and uh and it was just gross. And like, I had kept having to talk to him or just put up inappropriate behavior. And I, like, I had like a complaint from a client about his like demeanor. And so I had to, I knew I had to fire this guy, but, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't just like fire him. Like I should have, yeah. <laughs> but instead I was like, you know what, I'm going to take you off like production team. Like I'm going to move you to like the marketing team, like the sales, like, which is like door knocking. And, uh, and you're just going to do door knocking for a little while and then see if you can work your way up again. And it was like a weird demotion. And, it was just weird. And like, I don't know why I did that. Like I was, I, I know why I did that. I just didn't want to tell him straight that you're fired. Yes. But it wasn't doing him a, like a service. I should have let him go so he could go and, uh, you know, find a different summer job. And a lot of the stuff I've, I've kind of looked at online and trying to find like inspirational stuff about firing people. And Ben Horowitz um, wrote a book. What's, the hard, what's things, it called? The hard uh, things. Yeah. Hard thing about hard things. Yeah. And, and he, he talks about it really well. He's saying that like, you know, you're, as soon as you know the person doesn't have a future in your company, um, that like you could see a year out or six months out, and they're they're not going to be a part of it, then you're you're stealing their time by allowing them to stay there. That you know you got to set them free. They they deserve to find a place where they can flourish and they can work towards a bright future. And and you're just doing them a disservice by keeping them around. Um, and we've we've been we've done that uh, too many times um, at, at Planswell and other companies that I've had where it's like you just don't want to. You just don't want to say it. There was a, I was watching some other clip with Oprah and I can't remember who it was talking about it. And, uh, and he's like, you know, in 20 years of managing people, no one has ever put their hand up and said, you know, I'm not, I'm not the right fit for this job. Um, I shouldn't be doing this job. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's just not something people are going to do. And you, you as a leader need to make that call for people. So that's, that's been kind of inspiring and, and, uh, helps me through it. But no matter what, what, what I listen to, it's, it's always going to be painful. Oh, no, for sure. And thank you for sharing that because that's, it's definitely not an easy topic, even personally for me when I have people in my teams and, and you have to have that discussion. Oh, I, I hate it, but it feels good to, to pull that bandaid out fast. Right. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know you mentioned in terms of folks in your investment team or people around or stakeholders now are providing a lot of insight and helping you as you grow now. But can you name a person who had maybe a tremendous impact on you as a, as a, maybe an entrepreneur or even a business leader, someone who perhaps was a mentor, maybe a family member or, or someone in your friendship, uh, someone in your friend circle? 
like I would give a shout out to Stephen Ford. Um, he, when I was, because I grew up in Aurora, um, and so I was like hugely void of mentorship and understanding about how business works. And there was no startups in Aurora, and I was like just working weird jobs and starting weird companies. And uh, and I reached out to Stephen. I knew he was an investment advisor down at uh, at, at the Bay Street branch of CIBC Wood Gundy at the time. And mm. I reached out to him, and I, I had done some research, and I found out that investment advisors had a really great like it's a great career it's something that you could get into without a degree like I, I had dropped out of university and mm-hmm. um and he he took me out for dinner and and really explained the industry to me and different parts of banking and finance and i had been trading my own stock portfolio but beyond that <clears throat> i didn't really know much else about the industry so he ended up opening the doors to get me the job at wood gundy and i was like the first person in 15 years hired without a degree and it was like like really kind of helped me out there Mm -hmm. um and continued to to have dinner with me every kind of three to six months since back in 2000 like 11 12 and uh and has just been a great mentor like i just really enjoy uh spending some time with him and he he's uh like one of the most kind of successful investment advisors in canada services like a massive amount of of clients and, and really really helps people and i've always kind of looked up to how how he runs his business and how he runs his, his client experience um, and the level of respect that he treats people with in an industry where that's normally kind of lacking or insincere. Um, so I've just, I've learned a lot from him. Awesome. And, and it sounds like there's a mutual respect as well, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, you reached out to him initially, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so for sure. I, I called him up. I was, I was working at a, um, I, I did this thing for a while cause I was really interested in, um, in sales and just like different sales kind of organizations. So I went, I was actually working at a car dealership for three months because of a, a sales training program that I wanted to yeah. do. And, uh, and I was sitting at this desk in a, in a Volvo dealership and it was like dead. And there was like, this is before Volvo's got cool in the last few years. Um, and so, and so I was like just doing research. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? Like what, what else could I learn how to do? And I was like, oh, investment advisor. So yeah, I just emailed them saying, Hey, how do I do what you do? <laughs> so that's where it started. That's amazing. And I know for you, and I'm sure you being an entrepreneur now, when a young budding entrepreneur probably reaches out to you and very authentic, you'd probably want to maybe at least do a coffee. But if you really, if they really want to learn from you, you'll take them under your wing, right? That's that's probably a dream for all us business leaders, right? Yeah, I've done I've done a lot. I, I really enjoy helping and uh and mentoring. Um I signed up shortly after that actually. I signed up as a mentor with uh CYBF, which is later changed their name to Futurepreneur. Mm. And uh and I got to meet like a lot of really cool like young entrepreneurs that were just starting out and and I think that I was able to add some value to them. And yeah, people reach out all the time uh and and I'm often able to um, have people pop by the office for a quick chat or just give some some quick advice over the over the the like LinkedIn messenger or whatever it is um, yeah for sure it's I, I find it really rewarding I really enjoy it uh, more recently it's been it's been people with with companies that are around the time that they're first starting to look for funding so I've been able to make some some good introductions but yeah I, I love I love hearing about new ideas that's awesome no that's great and I'm really Curious, and this might even make sense now because you just mentioned that you've mentored through Futurepreneur and you provide feedback to other entrepreneurs. What well, what advice would you give someone, perhaps, who's listening and they're going into their first leadership position, whether it's you know hiring your first employee or taking a new role or becoming an entrepreneur? 
So like at the very early stages, I have a lot of advice around how you get your business started from idea stage, like what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest pitfall that I've seen, and you see it countless times, that you've heard stories like 99% of businesses fail. It's because what they do is they have an idea and then they go and build it. It's very easy to be like, okay, what would it cost for my idea to be a reality? Get that priced out, wrap your head around spending that money and then go build it. And there are a lot of products that have been built that no one has ever mm-hmm. used. So that's, that's the intuitive way to do it. And like before before it was tech companies, like when it was like retail companies or whatever else, like there are lots of garages and cold cellars and basements filled with with junk product that no one ever bought. Um, so there's people that did the same thing back then. I just need to stock up on inventory first. So the, the right way to do it, and I've learned this the hard way. I've done that all. I've had the inventory in my house. I've had, you know, I've built products no one has ever used. But what I've learned is that the first thing that you do is you talk to your target audience and you, you go and have meetings with people, you have coffee meetings with people and you listen to their problems. And, I, and I've, I've told many people, like, if you can't get somebody to say that they have the problem that you're trying to solve without you like leading them there and, and, and really like kind of coaching them to say that or, or proposing what the solution is first, then you don't have a good idea. It's going to cost way too much money to educate people. But so like you need to just ask somebody like, how do you feel about, you know, the, the financial industry? How do you think that could be better? And if they don't say to you, like, I don't understand anything about the financial industry. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my finances. Like you, you get the idea. It could be in any industry, but those, that doesn't cost you anything. It costs you the, the you know, two cups of coffee. Um, so we did that hundreds of times um, with plans. Well, literally uh, there's a whole team of us doing it and, uh, and you don't even tell them about the idea. You just listen. And you find the, the threads of commonality and the needs and things that people actually want. And then you go back and you have conversations with them again and say, look, if this, if this was something that existed, would you, would you enjoy it? Would you use it? And then in, in depending on the kind of business model it is, like you can actually get purchase orders from those people. Um, so like kind of like an intention to purchase. The other thing you can do is you can just start marketing um, a mocked up version of what your idea is. And try and get people to to say they would buy it. Like try and get a credit card from somebody. As soon as you get it, then you say, "Oh, sorry, you know what? Like we actually can't process it right now. There's going to be a bit of a delay. We'll get back to you." Um, and you you know be, be clear with people like this is this is this is a business idea, and we're just testing it out. But get that validation from actual consumers, and it costs nothing. It costs literally just your time to sort that out. And uh, and once you have purchase orders and you have intent and you know how to get these clients, you know how to acquire them, how you can scale. Um, you could do that all with with really small marketing tests and really small sales tests. Then you take that, you package it together, you put to, some projections together, you put some forecasts together. That's when you price out what it's going to cost to build it. But you don't build it yet. That's when you start getting investors. You start to meet with people who are going to fund this all along the way. Because yeah, you can wrap your head around the $10,000 quote or $20,000 quote you got to build it. But that's actually like way worse than than actually just pitching the idea and trying to raise the money and building it with your your investors' support. Once you've launched a product, all investors are going to want to look at is what the metrics are, and they're they're going to suck if you just built it like on a on a shoestring budget. Right. No, I and I've I've spoken. I'm a tech entrepreneur as well, and I totally get that because I always tell people when I'm speaking with them is like I I'm from the old school. I would sell. Until someone said, yes, I want it. And then I'd go build it. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's another story for sure. And I pre- really appreciate that. Eric, what are you reading right now? Is there anything that uh, that's really sparking up uh, you know, your brain in terms of what you're learning or maybe managing or leading? 
Well, on that on that topic, actually, I, I just finished reading uh, Bad Blood, mm-hmm. Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup, I think it's called. I find, I find when you read, like I listen to audiobooks, and so I never see the cover. Like when you're reading a book, you see the cover like a hundred times a day. So you remember what it's called. So I, I never know what it's exactly called. But but yeah, that was uh, the, the Theranos story um, that just came out uh, not too long ago. Um, so Ther- Theranos was the... Uh, the blood testing company in the Valley that was like a pinprick of blood can do everything uh, like a full vial used to be able to mm-hmm. do. And they had, they had deals in like Walgreens and it was live and Safeways And, and uh, it was like a $9 billion company within a few years. Um, and they actually just announced like a week ago or so that they were shutting it down. But we've, we've known for like a year that this is, uh, this is going to zero. Um, but it's the, it's the whole story from from start to finish of a of a tech startup that became like one of the top unicorns in the valley, and then back down to zero. So it's kind of like an extreme version of what I just described. Now I don't recommend ever lying to people when you're doing pitches and when you're doing demos and when you're trying to sell it to investors. Yeah. But but it's it's a profound story of how much people can get bought into to these ideas um, and how far you can push an idea, and in Theranos's case, never actually deliver on it. So it was a, it was a really maybe very uncomfortable at a lot of different points because just being in startups, like you can you could definitely relate to uh, like where they went went wrong and like you know in the very early days of pitching investors and you kind of push the limits on on what, what your demos can do and uh, in our case we were able to build financial planning software that works mm-hmm. and that's fantastic and it works for our clients and we have a lot of people holding us accountable to that but in their case they they were able to mask this uh, this blood test didn't work. They were they were doing tests on people and telling people that they had cancer and diseases and stuff that they didn't have, or telling other people they were healthy when they did have them, and uh, it was like it was a horror story. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I I know that book. It's been on it's it's been on my list, so I'll definitely list it as well on on your episode page because that's something that everyone would probably find interesting, whether they're a tech entrepreneur or not. More of a fun question, Eric. Actually, and if I were to ask any of your team. It could be past or present, your colleagues, peers, business advisors. What's the best leadership quality that Eric has? What do you think they would say? Best leadership quality? Um, I think I'm actually a pretty good leader. Um, I would say that I'm probably not a very good manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably struggle with like holding people accountable and really getting in the weeds of what people are doing and making sure that they're being pushed to their limits and kind of inspiring them to to improve. Um, but when it comes to leadership, like getting, getting people behind an idea, like I think like plans is a pretty good idea um, to, to not be so humble about it. Like the idea itself is something that I think kind of sells people on why they want to work here. Like it's, it's really, we're helping a lot of people that, that have no other, no other way to get help in society. Like we're also helping wealthier people as well to, to save, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees. Um, but that's these these are like missions that people can get behind and they're fairly easy to understand. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been too challenging to build the culture around that and to inspire people to work here. But I think I'm fairly good at continuing to sell the vision of where we're going to get in the future and, and going to keep people on the train. Um, and that I think has been really really helpful to building the team, to getting referrals for for new recruits, and and also to to sell the story to consumers who can kind of get behind it. We had a radio campaign that went for a while and, and had a lot of great feedback from that. So yeah, it's really just kind of selling the the story and the vision of where we're trying to get to and, and like kind of leading the way. That's awesome. So what else is going on, Eric? Do you have, I know we, we actually talked about many things. I mean, probably your exciting one is 
new new kid number four, but but perhaps any other special projects, initiatives, or anything fun that you're really really stoked, really excited about now. So, like something that's actually really exciting for us is uh, is international expansion. Um, so we're we're starting pilots in actually uh, Poland and Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a ton of research on on demographics in different countries and, and the state of the industry and. Those are two of our kind of top picks for where we could test this out. And we've started testing it out. We've started building plans for people. And it's uh, the, the, the appetite seems it's it's monstrous. Like the people people want to know when they're going to be able to, to sustain themselves financially. They want to know when they're going to be able to put their kids through school and if they're going to be able to afford that. Um, they want to know where they're at and, and being able to um, fulfill that, that lack of knowledge and that curiosity is... Uh, is pretty exciting um, in, in the scale that we're going to be able to do it. So we're, we're currently looking at an, about a dozen other countries that we should be able to expand into in the next like coming months, uh, you know, in under a year. And we're, we're doing it in a neat way through certain partnerships that are assisting us with actually um, providing solutions like implementing clients. And um, most of the other countries we're looking at have like a very digitized onboarding. So like in Canada, if you if you get your financial plan made with us, you, you'll see there's an investment recommendation. There's usually insurance recommendations. There's usually um, like mortgage recommendations when appropriate. And uh, you can do the investment stuff online pretty easily. That's something that's been built out by a number of com- companies over the last few years. But there is no digital onboarding of insurance uh, in Canada or mortgages. Um, there's a few companies that have tested it out um, and they haven't quite nailed it. In most cases, it's still too expensive. But in other countries, it's there. It exists. It's it's easy to use. People are used to that kind of uh, interaction. Um, so whereas in, in Canada, we're able to service, you know, like 100,000 clients over the course of a year. In other countries, we'll be able to service millions um, because we'll be able to digitize the experience so much more. Um, and don't feel left out if you're a Canadian listener. Right? <laughs> like we, we, we will get to that in Canada within the next year or two. Um, but it's just a really exciting uh, opportunity to be able to assist people in other countries as well. No, for sure. And and it's exciting. And this is goes back to probably what we were talking about. And I don't want to really go down this route, but finding out your MVP, your product works, and then finding out where your big markets are, right? And really taking that mm-hmm. as a challenge, right? Like doesn't necessarily mean we have to stay in Canada. We could we could grow and help the whole Europe, right? For example. Yeah, it's uh, it's super exciting. No, for sure. Um, about to end, but before we do so, Eric, I'd love to get your final thoughts, observations. Or ideally, what I'm what I like to share is actionable recommendations that uh, that we could share to the emerging or growing business leaders who are listening today. So I think well, that's a that's a broad one. <laughs> one of the big focuses in our company has been on being able to really measure the cost of acquiring a client and then. The rev, like comparing that to the revenue of the client, so that you can actually know when this is a viable model. So, like, uh, like most startups, like we've started out by not doing things profitably. So, like, we have the absolute lowest costs in the industry for for all three of our kind of main areas of, of trade lines, and this is great. And I and I think like it's really exciting that we'll be able to maintain the absolute lowest costs um, in a model where. We can we can actually still afford to to service clients, and we can still afford to have calls when people want to have calls, and, and we can have the best user experience. So, really, having those KPIs, um, the key performance indicators on those metrics, are so super important. And they're not 
like really intuitive and easy to measure. Like we're talking about taking all of the variable costs in the building uh, in the business, including the building, like the the uh, square footage divided by headcount, including you know every little cost that goes into it, and dividing that into like where where your revenue is coming from. Um, it's a it's a big it's a big effort, and it needs to be done like consistently, so that when you do come across a potential investor or a potential partner. Um, and they ask you for that, then you're not scrambling for weeks and, and kind of coming up with excuses for why it took so long, because it can take a long time uh, to pull that information together. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's been an absolute pleasure, Eric. But to close, can you tell us where we could find more information about you, Plans Well, or anything else you'd love to share with us today? Yeah, you can go to planswell.com um, and you'll be able to uh, to learn a little bit more about what's going on here. You'll, you'll notice that it's all very kind of easily like palatable. Like it looks like you're, you've jumped into a children's book when you get there and uh, you know, that's intentional. Um, we want it to feel like it, this is easy stuff to understand. It's not something you need to be afraid of within three minutes flat. You can know exactly what you need to do for your future. And it, and it explains it to you in a really easy to understand way. Um, so don't be scared. Try it out. Vast majority of people are doing it on their phones. Um, it works fine on your phones. There's an app for it. You can get it in the app store or any app store. But yeah, Planswell is uh, P-L-A-N-S-W-E-L-L. Awesome. Eric, thank you again for spending the time with us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's it, business leader. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 81 with Eric Arnold. If you want to learn more about Eric, Planswell, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 081. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Please join my free private Facebook group called The Business Leadership Group, where I share insights, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Lastly, if you have not done so yet, Subscribe to the podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to the podcast today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.